This will serve in place of your PTN test. This is a go, no-go exercise. You will tread water for one hour. You touch the wall, you fail. You touch the bottom, you fail. You fail and you go home. Senior, the school operates on the two challenge rule. You can't pull them out on their first day. If you cannot survive in a warm pool of water, then you have no business being here. Does this class understand? Yes, Chief! Hoorah, class 5506. Now, who here can tell me the rescue swimmer's motto? Don't let me live, Senior Chief! Oh, feel safer already. You willing to sacrifice your life so others may live, goldfish? Yes, I am, Senior Chief! You will have to earn that right. I want all of you to think about that. There's going to come a time when you reach the point of exhaustion and you want to give up. The question is, will you? dismissed. I cramped up. You're gone. Let's go, Lions. I don't want to Let's go. Let's go. First lesson in physics, people. Muscle does not float. Petty Officer Watson, pull him out of the pool. All right, Senior Chief. Let's go, people, out of the water. I thought you said you were willing to sacrifice your life for another. Yes, And why didn't you save your teammate when he reached out for you? I wasn't aware we were working as a team, Senior Chief. That's the only way we work, Swim Champ. How many of you have seen this movie? All right, a lot of you. Um, the next five Sundays, counting today, five Sundays, we're going to be doing what we call summer blockbusters. We're going to be using some, some movies that you may or may not have seen, but I'm going to tell you what some of them are so that you can get ready. Next week is Three Days to Kill, and then there's um, Majestic and School of Rock, 
And then uh, I think we're doing Truman Show. And uh, I can't remember the other. So anyway, y'all can watch those things. Now, in, uh, and then in, in August, we're going to do a uh, marriage series. Now, uh, some of you have already said, I've already heard some people say, well, I don't need to come to the marriage series because I'm single or because I'm married or whatever. If you've got all of the answers, then I, I feel free to come up here and preach. I will step aside and you can come up and you can share your vast wealth of knowledge with us. Um, if, however, though, you don't have it all figured out... And if you're single and there's any chance that you might get married or that you might know somebody or work with somebody or possibly be related to somebody who's married, then this series is for you. Did I cover everybody? I think I did. Okay. So we're going to have a good time in in, uh, August, but until we get there, this is one of our our favorite series and one of the best uh, attended and and best responses we get is from this series. All right, let's let's talk about this. Jake knew, and you may not have caught it because it's kind of hard to hear, but he knew the motto, the Coast Guard motto. Did you catch it? That others may live. That others may live, senior chief, but knowing the motto and living out the motto are two entirely different things. See, if you, if you watch the movie, you understand that Jake has a different motto, and his motto is that I may live, right? He is all about himself. He's this childish young man that makes a bunch of mistakes. He was full of Jake, and he left no room for anybody else. Now, Jake had the same problem that many Christians have. Many Christians know the right thing to do. They just don't do it. When it comes time to put into practice what we know and what we say we believe, we fall very, very short. Why? If you came for a feel-good message today, I'm sorry. This this might kick your butt. Um, So I'm just letting you know now. Why, Why do Christians... Because we live our lives for ourselves. Our life motto is that I may live. I don't care about you. I want what's best for me. And I don't care about my neighbor. I don't care about anybody else. Don't care about my spouse. Don't care about my kids. Now, you would never say that out loud. But the way you act sure seems to indicate that's how and what you believe. Now, God has some things to say about this, and and we're going to look at that in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. By the way, one of the things that we talk about all the time you see on our announcement loop um, is YouVersion, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. It's a Bible app that you can download. It's free, and I think they're up to 134 million... downloads now, they were going for, no, yeah, they were going for a hundred million. That was their first go. Well, they've crossed that. Now they're going for a billion downloads worldwide. And we put that on there. So if you go to settings, if you, if you open up your, your, uh, U version, and then you go, there's a little lines over there. You go to that and you look for live. When you push on live, that tab, you put in seven, five, eight, oh, one, eight, oh, two, eight, oh, three, and it'll pop up the, the title of that day's sermon. And you don't have to have the listening guide. You can just follow along. You can, you can do all this stuff there. So if you need more information about that, let me know. Uh, you can also find the verses and you can see the verses in context if you're on your Bible app, you version. So here we go. James 1, through 25. If you don't have it, it's fine. Look at the screen. Do what God's teaching says. Now, this is the half-brother of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, do what God's teaching says. When you only listen and do nothing, you're fooling yourselves. Those who hear God's teaching and do nothing are like people who look at themselves in the mirror They see their faces and then they go away quickly and forget what they look like. But the truly what kind of people? The truly happy people are those who carefully do what? Study God's perfect law that makes people what? Free. And they continue to study it. They do not forget what they heard, but they do what? They obey what God's teaching says. Those who do this will be made what? Happy. Anybody here want to be happy? 
Here's the first point. Obedience is the path to happiness. That is not a feel-good thing, right? No, 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 no. Happiness is I get to do what I want and God blesses me regardless of what his word says, right? No. Unless you are the perfect person who died on the cross for the sins of the world, you don't get to make the rules. Obedience leads to happiness. Too many Christians are what one commentator I read said, they're like, they're like um, sermon sippers. They're kind of like human versions of a hummingbird flitting around. And they go here and they, and they suck on the sugar water and it's good. It's all about me and it's feel good. But as soon as somebody talks about sin or obedience or discipline, oh, no, 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 that's sour water. We want some more spiritual sugar water. And so we flit over here and we go here and here and here and we flit around. We never, we never put down roots and grow and serve and become fully devoted followers of Christ because our religion is all about me. And not about what God says we're supposed to do. So we got to plant and grow if we want to be what God says we should be. James says that people that do that, that are flitting around like, like human hummingbirds, he says that they're fooling themselves. But then he says something remarkable. He tells us how to be free. And everybody I've ever met wants to be free. Truly happy people study God's word. They remember it. They obey it. And then they're happy. But it's not enough to know this motto. It's not enough to know it. You've got to do it. Look what Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32. People leave off the first part of this. People leave this part off. If you continue to obey my teaching, you are truly my followers. People quote this next part all the time. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They left out obedience. He says, only if you obey and you continue to obey, then you'll know the truth, and truth will make you free. Well, that brings me to the second thing. True freedom in life comes from obeying God. I could have said the same thing. Obedience is the path to happiness. Um, Obedience is the path to freedom as well. There's just no way around it. Ever wonder why so many Christians are miserable? It's because they're holding hands with two lovers. They can't decide between sin and the Savior. And they think they can walk that path and hold on to both hands. And, and scripture's very clear, you can't do that. People say, oh, well, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. No one's the boss of me. And in an effort to show just how free they are, they do anything they want to under the sun. And the ironic thing is, when they're doing all those things that are going to make them free, all of a sudden, they become slaves to gambling, to alcohol, to sex, to addictions. And, and then I go and I visit people in the jail who thought they were free until Popo showed up. And Popo had a different interpretation of the law. And they spend a lot of time behind bars. And it's funny because it's behind bars, people get real clear real quick, right? Can anybody testify that? I'm not trying to... Anybody testify? There's a lot of folks that behind bars, man, they get straight. They get out and they go back to the same people they were, I was, I don't know how many times this comes up in a week's conversation, but three or four times this week, somebody said, man, I hung out with the wrong crowd. I was, you know, I had these friends, worst four words in the English language. I had these friends. And then you tell this story of a complete stupidity, right? And sometimes you're telling it laughing, but usually when you're laughing, you have some liquid stuff, courage, you know, and you're, hey, you know about the time. Because if you were sober, you'd be going, man, I'm an idiot, Right? For doing that. I've got some of those stories, so I'm just, I'm preaching myself as well. 
People spin further and further out of control, trying to prove to the world that they're free, and they end up in bondage. Now, in our, in our movie, the main character, Jake, he's actually in bondage. Um, he's like a child who never grows up. He has so much potential, but instead of realizing that potential... He keeps making little boy choices. He needs to grow up. And the senior chief, I love the movie, because senior chief wants to make sure that Jake grows up. Well, in the movie, if you know what's going on, he's called, because of his methods, he's called before his commander. And, and all the other workers there, they're questioning his methods because it doesn't go along with what they've always done at the school. And uh, senior chief Randall says, well, there's a gap between training and what really goes on out there. And they said, oh, is that so? And he said, yeah, and I intend to narrow that gap. Well, in this scene, uh, watch what he does to help narrow the gap between classroom learning and true experience. First stage is hypothermia and no stress. Why? Because you still have the ability to think, say it. Still have the ability to think. The decisions you make during this stage are going to determine whether you live or die. There's a reason you're not breathing goldfish. There's a reason why you're not breathing. I don't know anyone who can stay alive without breathing for 15 minutes, CBG. Are you a coroner? Because pronouncing people dead is not part of our job description. What do we always say? We never stop, Jake. Out from the cabin, keep to the tarmac. We never stop. I'm seeing the chief. Understood? Yes, Okay, Jake, in the swole. Hodge, you're up. What the do? Three letters. Three letters will get you people a cup of hot coffee and a blanket. What do you say, goldfish? Actually, not that cold anymore, Senior Chief. You're not cold anymore because blood is moving from your outer extremities to your heart. That's why your arms won't work. You can plan on spending roughly 60% of your career in a mildly hyperthermic state. Senior Chief, may I have a word? And I informed of this. You know, we have classrooms. And your assignment is to simply teach the stages of hypothermia. Sir, in about two and a half minutes, they'll understand. Permission to carry on, sir? One of my favorite scenes. Your assignment was to teach them the stages of hypothermia. They're about to understand very well. And not only does he teach them a lesson that they'll never forget, but he gets in the water with them, right? That's a pretty good example, I think. The point is, classroom teaching is okay, but it's so much better to have real-life experience, first-hand knowledge of the stages of hypothermia. Well, let me, let me, as kindly as I can, suggest to you that there's a gap between church and life, Right? Now, we're trying to narrow that gap here at New Life, but there's a huge gap. We come here and we dress up. We we don't really dress up. It's funny, and and no disrespect whatsoever if you're a guest, but you can tell first-time guests, right? Because they're dressed nice, 
right? And, and we don't mean any disrespect at all. It's just, here's the thing. We have decided that we don't want to pretend that we're something different on Sunday than we are on... And, and I'm not saying you're doing that. No, 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 no. I'm just saying most church cultures, if you don't dress a certain way, then people look down on you when you walk in, right? Anybody experience that? I've, I've told you before that, that I was cussed at by a door greeter at one of my churches, and, and it's because... Well, I won't even go into that story. Um, I was just playing loud music, and, and he, he thought that was of the devil, and he told me where I could take my music. Um, but there's a gap, and, and Jesus is, is offended by the gap. See, what, what happens is most of the time we go to church, and we hear something, oh, that's good, that's good. We walk out the doors and like, ain't no way I'm doing what he just talked about. Because people think I'm weird. Because if I'm radically obedient, I'll be a strange person and and I won't be politically correct. Collect. (laughs) That's a Freudian slip, you know, taxes. Politically collect. I won't be PC. And let me tell you something, Jesus wasn't PC. He ripped into the religious leaders for being the classroom only type people. Here it is in Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the scriptures. So practice and obey whatever they say to you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. Isn't that something that you you really don't like to be around? When our coaches, I played football in high school and baseball, when our coaches got out there on the field with us and demonstrated and ran with us, I had a different respect for them. It's the same way in, in church or in, in, in the life of following Christ, in the Christian life. He says, they crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear um, wide prayer boxes with scripture verses aside, inside. And they wear extra long tassels on their robes. And see what this was, the scripture said, you should wear the scripture on your forehead, on your tassel. Well, they took that literally. And it's actually a figurative thing. You're supposed to impress it on your mind and on your heart. They actually wore it. And the longer the tassels and the more scriptures you had posted, the more supposedly religious person you were. Well, guess what? We don't want to be religious because Jesus wasn't religious. Jesus was about relationship with the Father. And we're about relationship through Jesus Christ with the Father. We're not about religious rules. Right? He says, everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear extra long tassels on their robes. And how they love to sit at the head tables at banquets and in the most prominent seats in the synagogue. Sorry, I had to blink. They enjoy the attention that they get on the streets and they enjoy being called rabbi. This kind of messes me up right here. Don't ever let anyone call you rabbi. For you have only one teacher and all of you are on the same level as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you master, for there is only one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Some of you, because of a tradition, there's some of you here that call me pastor. Very few of you do that. And, and I, from the time I was a minister, I was a youth minister for 19 years, I never wanted anybody to call me pastor or, or anything like that because I just felt uncomfortable with that. Um, and, and part of it is from this scripture. Jesus is saying that, that we're all on the same level. I have a different role than you do, but there is absolutely nothing in God's eyes that puts me above you. There's not a hierarchy it's not the preacher is up here and the youth minister's here and then the sound people, well, they're down here. <laughs> Gary's waving at me. You don't find that in Scripture. We're all one. There's, the Scripture says we're neither slave nor free, male nor female, 
Gentile or Jew, we are all the same. So our church should reflect all kinds of diversity. Because we are about loving everybody. I don't care about skin color. I don't care about economics. I don't care about what religious denomination you've been a part of. Because when you die, God doesn't ask you those things. God didn't say, tell me your denomination. He says, what'd you do with my son, Jesus? And if Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, you get into heaven. If he's not, you go to hell. And don't ever say, oh, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. You choose it by rejecting his son. You've got to make a choice. Not very popular, but it's what Jesus said. Now, Christian t-shirts and bumper stickers, great, but not enough. In fact, I don't have them on my car. Because I might cut you off. Not intentionally. I'm, I, I don't cut you off intentionally, but if you cut me off, I'm talking to you. I'm not cussing you, but I'm thinking some not very pleasant thoughts about you. And one of my greatest fantasies is having a caterpillar bulldozer that goes 95 miles an hour, just plowing over people, right? <laughs> so I, don't put the little ichthus, don't put the fish on your car, don't put the little bump, don't say, follow me to New Life Community Church and then salute people, you know, you're number one. Don't do that, don't do that. Pick another church in town and put their... No, don't do it. I'm not, I'm not being serious. <clears throat> don't think that God is, is saying that leadership is a bad thing. Here's what he's saying. This is what Jesus is saying. If the only reason you want to be a deacon or a pastor or a teacher is that someone will acknowledge your, your position, you've completely missed what it means to be Christ followers. Because Jesus gave up the glory of heaven to serve selfish human beings. That's what he calls us to do. Service to God is more important than human positions of honor. And many people shy away from serving because it's not very glamorous. How glamorous was the cross? How glamorous was crucifixion? When he screams out, because it's, it, was, it was and is the most painful torture, the pain, most painful way to die known to human beings because of the nerves that are in your wrists and that are in your feet, right above, you know, in the ankle area. Because it's like smashing your funny bone every time they hit the nail. And, and so, you know how bad this funny bone hurts? Well, it, imagine for the time Jesus is hanging on the cross that the pain never goes away. How glamorous is that? And the, yet the Bible says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame, but he did it for the glory set before him. And part of the glory is messed up people like you and me that finally get it and give our lives to Christ. And the Bible says that he wants to display his glory through you and me. Messed up people for all eternity. That's part of why he saves us, is that he can show, I'm a God of justice. That's what, he had to have somebody die to pay for your sins and mine. We, he couldn't just wink and let it go by. He's a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy because he provided his own son to take that. And you've got to make a choice before you die. And the Bible says that our attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. What was that? He gave up all the glory of heaven for you and me. And he served. And, and uh, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, guess what? The greatest people I know don't mind cleaning toilets. They don't mind sweeping the floors. They don't mind taking out the trash. They don't mind changing diapers. 
because they know in the scheme of things, Bible says you don't even give a cup of cold water to someone without Jesus Christ noticing. Nothing done in the name of the Father is in vain. So we gave out tons of clothes over these last couple of days. God noticed. We try to do things for single moms. God notices. We try to reach out to everybody. God notices. Nothing you do ever escapes his notice. And, and when I'm looking for people that I want to serve in this church, I look for people who are humble and don't mind serving others. Because number four, serving others indicates the condition of your heart. If something is beneath you, then everybody in this church is beneath you. And you're not going to serve them. So no offense, you're not ready to serve. You can sit here a while longer, but don't try to serve if it's all about you, because we don't want that. In this next clip, Senior Chief makes the point that the rescue swimmer may be the very last hope of a ship who's going down. There will come a time when you might have to decide who lives and dies out there. It's a terrible responsibility, but it is one you will have to make as a rescue swimmer. The bigger reality is it's also something you're going to have to live with as a human being. There will come a time when you're going to have to say no. The most important person to keep alive is yourself. You'll be facing crews from 5 to 20, all saying, save me, save me. They're looking for a miracle. How old are you, Hodge? 24. At 24 years old, you have to become that miracle. You have to find a way to be that miracle. It's going to come a time in your life when you're going to have to decide whether you're going to live for you or you're going to live for something bigger. Because there's people that God has placed in your path right now and he intends for you to be the one to lead them to Jesus Christ. So you've got to decide, am I, am I going to live for God or am I going to live out my motto that I may live or that others may live? Um, got to go to my 10-year reunion. I didn't get to go to my 20-year reunion because all kinds of things were going on. And then we didn't even like each other enough to have a 30-year reunion. I was, I was texting people and messaging people on Facebook. I'm like, we're getting together? I'm like, nah, we don't like y'all. So anyway, we didn't have our 30. So I, I guess we're done. But at my 10-year reunion, some people were very surprised that I was a minister. Because in high school, I lived my life for me. It was all about me. And, and I thought I was doing a good job of playing both sides. I was at church every Sunday, but I, I usually was at a party on Friday or Saturday night. And I thought, but here's the thing. We had very small parties. It, very exclusive. And so you, you, only four or five people could come to our parties because we thought we could keep it a secret and nobody knew we were partying. Everybody knew and everybody thought I was a joke. And they were right because I was playing a game. So at my 10-year reunion, I come in and people are like, you're a minister? <laughs> you know, and, and so we're, we're dancing and, and, and then they have the meal. And, and so they, somebody came up and they said, hey, why don't we get Doug to pray? Because after all, if you're going to have a prayer at a meal, why not, why not ask a professional to pray, right? And so um, as I'm walking up to pray, I, I just had this overwhelming burden for my classmates and, and, you know, I was thinking, God, what can I possibly say in, in a 30-second prayer? Because I have this habit, you don't pray long before food. One time my, my 
one of my best friends and I were with a guy that was, that was a Sunday school teacher and we went out to eat and, and this guy was, I mean, he would pray for days. And so we got our food and, and we said, Skip, you want to pray? And Skip starts praying. Well, you know, the, the pancakes are just right there and I'm sniffing and Irvin's sniffing and Skip's praying, man, he is, he is in the throne of God and Irvin and I are going, dude. And so we get tickled, and, and Skip actually gets his feelings hurt, and he's going, amen. He said, I've never prayed around you guys before. We're like, dude, we love your praying, just not over the meal. Man, don't save the world when we're sniffing pancakes. Um, so anyway, I'm going up to pray, and I have this thing. I don't pray long over, over food. Everybody's got their plate. And, and, and all I said was, I said, God, I, I just want to thank you for the people in this room, and I thank you for this food. God, help us have a great time tonight. And I said, may this time be an ultimate preview of our reunion in heaven. And God, how I pray that every one of my classmates would be at that reunion. Amen. Didn't think anything about it, went and sat down. And it was kind of funny because there were, there were like four, no, five Christians and, you know, we were married and so our wives are Christians. And so it, these, these people were insane at the 10-year reunion and doing stuff. And, and so all of a sudden, all of the Christians <laughs> migrated to one table and there weren't drugs and alcohol at this table. And we were talking and people would come by and they go, hey, you know, drunk as a skunk, great prayer, man. I'm like, thanks. You know, um, and, and people would say, when they would kind of sober up a little bit, they'd catch me off and they'd say, how I hope what you prayed is true. I said, me too, but, but let me tell you, the only way this is going to happen is if you and I do what Jesus Christ said in Matthew five sixteen. Jesus talking to his followers and he said, you should be a light for people. Live so that they will see the good works you do and praise your Father in heaven. Now, number five on your listening guide, I kind of changed it to my translation. Live in such a way that people say there must be a God. And because I see the way you're acting, you must know him. Now, is that typically what Christians do when they leave here? We go out here on 155, we cut off people. I see you. And, and, and we go and we completely forget. What we, Yay, God, we pray, we sing, we praise, and yes, amen. And, and, and some of you don't even know what that means. Dwayne will tell you. Dwayne's been saying amen for years. And wave your hand, Dwayne. Dwayne will explain what amen. It really means so be it that you're agreeing with what's, what's being said. Amen. And then you go out and you live like hell. And people say, if that's what God is like, I don't want to know him. Or they'll say, I'm, I'm just as much a Christian as you are because we're doing the same things. So we've got to make a distinction. This doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. It means that when you mess up, you have enough integrity to admit it. Because I think people would rather follow an honest mistake maker than a pretend perfect person. Yes? You agree with that? Well, as we finish up our movie, I'm not showing you the last part of the movie, that's, that's a little dramatic. Um, but as the movie goes along, the recruits struggle, and come down to the end, there's only a few left. Watch what happens here. It's okay, I'm with the U.S. Coast Guard.
I'm here to help you. Time out. Class pop tall. Hodge, put yourself to the side of the pool. Easy, Chief. Guess it was a lucky punch. Punch! And you stay right there. Well done, Charlie. Chief Skinner. Best five five zero six. Urah Hodge on three. One, two, three. Urah. Good for you. Get their gear off. Class 5506, will you come find me if I am lost? Dead Chief! Will you come save me if I am drowning? Yes, Senior Chief! I believe you would. I have high hopes for this class. high hopes for you that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie when jake finally gets it and the class finally get it and i got to tell you there was a time uh before we started this church that i finally got it and it had to do with a pastor calling me my favorite pastor and he was just about to retire from from preaching and and he calls me up and he says hey i got to tell you something i'm gonna tell you the same thing i told my son He said, your generation has to do a better job than my generation of reaching lost people because the church is losing. He said, you have to be the one to reach lost people. I wish my dad had told me something like that. But my favorite pastor is the one who did it. And so I've just decided that I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to reach lost people. Because the alternative is lost people go to hell and I don't want people to go to hell. Now, I'm going to go a little over. So if you're looking at your watches, stop it. But I have to tell you this because this ties in with what we're talking about. There's a museum in Massachusetts devoted to a volunteer organization that was formed over 300 years ago. In those days, sea travel was incredibly treacherous because we didn't have the, the, all of the lighthouses. We didn't have certain things that would mark the, especially the Massachusetts coastline. It was very rocky, very dangerous. And um, Many lives were lost, and, and the majority of those lives were lost within one mile of shore. And so people decided, we can't do that. We, we can't let people die so close to, to being saved. And so they formed this group, and at first it was called um, the Humane Society. Now, we think about animals, but back then it was all about saving lives. And um, they built these little huts 
all up and down the eastern seashore and they were called huts of refuge or life-saving huts and they put all kinds of, of rescue equipment in there and they, they manned them day and night. People were posted there and their job was to keep watching the sea and anytime anybody would start going down, the word would go out and people would come and they would risk everything to save people. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, somebody was watching and everybody was willing. They did it for no money, no recognition. They did it just because they prized human life. And to remind them of how important this task was, they came up with this slogan. And the slogan was, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. That's a great little recruiting tool, right? You know, we should stamp that out there, put it on banners, send it to people. Come to our church. You have to go out from our church. You don't ever have to come back because you need to give your life. And you wouldn't think that many people would come, but it inspired people and they came and they sacrificed everything. They took this very seriously and they, they adopted that motto. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. And a lot of people joined them. So over time, they, they went out and rescued all kinds of people and they did it not knowing who was out there, not knowing names. They did it with no pay, no, no recognition. And then over time, something changed. And, and what, was now, what was, is now known as the Coast Guard was established. And for a while, the life-saving society, the life-saving huts, and the Coast Guard coexisted. But after a while, they got this idea, well, let the professionals do it. They're, they're better trained. They're paid. Let's let the professionals do it. Volunteers stopped manning the little huts. They stopped searching the coastline for sinking ships. They stopped sending out rescue teams for people who were going down. And here's the funny thing. Even though they quit rescuing people, they got out of the life-saving business, they couldn't quite disband. They couldn't quit meeting together because they liked each other. And so every once in a while, they, they would get together. The, the, the society still exists today. Every once in a while in Boston, New England, somewhere, they'll have a meeting and they'll hand out awards for things like community service. They love getting together. They have some sponsorship programs. They, they have some scholarship programs. They, they love getting together. They're just not in the life-saving business anymore. They, they, don't, they don't watch the coastline because it's not their job to see if anybody's dying. They don't know the thrill of, of any more of what it is to risk themselves to save a life that, that's going to die. They don't speak those words to each other anymore. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back because they're not in the life-saving business anymore. It happens all the time. It doesn't, doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in a month. But it happens that churches forget they're in the life-saving business. Last Sunday, New Life Community Church celebrated the 12th birthday of our church. And as long as I have breath, we're, we're not going to forget that we're a life-saving church. And, and people write all the time names of family members that they're praying for. In fact, most of y'all don't even know this. On this stage, under the carpet, under the tile, throughout this building, are written the names of people that are lost. That, that we believe if we don't do some, everything we can to reach them, they're going down. And some of them, when, when they've come to Christ, the person who wrote their name down have, have taken them to that spot and they said, you don't know it, but right under here, I wrote your name five years ago. And I, and I pledged to God that I would pray for your soul until you came to Christ. And see, it usually doesn't happen quickly, but churches forget that. And, and here's, the, here's the funny thing, not funny, haha, but ironic Churches that have quit being in the life-saving business, they can't, they can't disband because they like each other. They like community. They like covered dish meals. 
They like hanging out. They're just no longer in the life-saving business. They're not sending out teams. They're not scouring neighborhoods and offices and schools and networks and cities to see if somebody is dying and going to hell. They forgot maybe that Jesus put this, this idea of rescuing people in the hands of some volunteers. And he said, you're my only plan for carrying on the kingdom. There's no plan B. It's volunteers. And don't you dare think it can't happen to you. It can happen in a church. It can happen in a small group. It can happen to an individual. It can happen to you if you forget that Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And God help me, when I stand before him, I'm going to say, I did everything I can. I did everything I could to save lost people and to raise them up to be fully devoted followers of Christ. And I think some of you want to be in that business. That's why you keep coming. Whether or not we stay in the life-saving business depends on the people in this room. We've got a choice to make. Are we just going to be a society that, that hands out awards? Are we going to dedicate ourselves to rescuing lost people? Let's pray together. Father, you've given us a job to do and forgive us for ever forgetting what our business is. Help us to be filled with your spirit and help us look for people that you love. And and according to scripture, you love them all. We've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to you. So help us to treat people like you would treat them and help us introduce more and more people to Christ so that we can baptize more and more in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, The way we do things here, we've got three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we give here. Um, You can either give there or you can give online, nlccp.com. There's a lot of folks that are are, um, recurring givers. That means they give the same amount every month or however often they're paid. Um, It's real easy to set that up. Go there and you can do that. Second basket is our registration card basket. Here's what I want you to do. I always ask you to write something on the back. I want you to write at least two names, two to five names of people you're not sure whether they are Christ followers or not. And I'm going to commit to pray over this next week or however long that that God will bring them into the kingdom and then, then you pray as well. So write some names on the back of that. If you have any prayer requests, put those on there. I pray through those during the week. Then we have what we call a bagel basket. Stands for building a great life. And um, everything that goes in there goes to pay for our building. Well, we're debt-free, but we're saving up for a parking lot. So that's, that's our next project. You're going to be hearing some things about that in the future. All right, stand up. I want you to hug five people. Tell them you love them. And then uh, be sure and invite someone to come with you next week. You're dismissed. <laughs>